Up World. It's past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me on Wednesday at 6 p.m. to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's episode is also our latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag episode answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you tag it as mailbag or wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet. I'll do my best to get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email me, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the address. One more time for you, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to get involved. We do this each week. Uh, typically, we have a Mailbag Monday episode, and then if there's spillover, we'll have a special delivery, a second Mailbag episode later in the week. It looks like special delivery is going to come Friday based on uh, my preliminary peek at the schedule. So if you do not hear your question in this particular Mailbag show, don't worry, I got you in the handy-dandy Word doc, and you you are on the docket for Friday's show. We just, Mailbag Monday has grown very large. It's, it's, it's a popular thing. I want to get to everyone's questions, but I don't want these to run an hour long. I want them to be quick so you can get, get in, get out, and get gone. So without further ado, let's get into it. Our first question for this week's Mailbag Monday comes from Scott at ScottPTB30, who asks, with Norman Powell in the starting lineup, it would make sense to get another guard in the buyout market. No. Cam asks at KO2Camden on Twitter, asks, who might be Portland's list for the 14th roster spot? Are we getting a veteran power forward? Folks, I believe we have differing approaches to how the Blazers can fill out their final couple roster spots. This is, this is, a lot of people are asking about this, so we're just going to talk about uh, various things related to the, uh, related to the buyout market to begin with. Um, I talked about this in the previous show, but the Blazers are, they're not offering much with the buyout, right? Like they're not offering playing time necessarily. Um, and they're not offering like proximity to a championship. Like the Blazers are pretty good. I don't mean to talk down to them, but they're just like, they're not, um, they're not so close to a championship a la the Milwaukee Bucks that, um, that, that, uh, people are going to flock there. Um, even if you think the Bucks aren't particularly close, uh, they've been, They've been pretty consistently better than the Blazers. You can see why uh, maybe guys around the league think that. So um, I think, you know, the Blazers do need to add someone to the roster. They have, right now they're rolling with 13. They're really rolling with 11 um, because uh, CJ Ellaby is not really an NBA player and Zach Collins is hurt. So they they definitely need to add someone. League rules stipulate that you must carry 14. So they'll... um, they'll get there, right? Like they, they will, they will add someone either via just straight up free agency off the street or via the buyout market. Uh, the buyout market is, is, uh, it's going to dry up pretty quickly. Like not everyone's going to be bought out. Even guys that maybe you, you think would be, and we'll mention those couple names in a second, they might just stay on their teams because teams, you know, unless guys are willing to give back money, teams are, you know, they just, they need bodies and it makes sense. Um, just to sort of keep those guys on the roster. If, if, if the buyout is the other option, there's what is, what is the benefit you might ask from, from their perspective. So I probably lean here, not towards veteran power forward. I don't, I don't even understand how that's a need quite honestly. Like they have a lot of guys who, 
who are fours or can play four. Like they maybe don't have a lot of depth at that spot, but between Robert Covington, Derek Jones, and Carmelo Anthony, like I think that's covered. Um, Harry Giles, I guess, conceivably could play that too, although he hasn't played that very much. To me, the spot that they're missing is probably like just an emergency point guard. I'm with Scott on this one. Uh, it would be another guard, like that position that Rodney Hood played a little bit was just like, hey, we need someone to handle the ball in this certain night, this certain lineup, this certain three-minute stretch. I think they could use side of, uh, at a break-the-glass emergency type uh, point guard. I had mentioned Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague signing with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so... <laughs> Even Teague, who hasn't been very good this year, probably a rung above what you can imagine. Typically, the Blazers have used this spot to sign a very good G League player. The G League MVP, in fact. Tim Frazier, G League MVP. Jalen Adams, the G League MVP. Like, look for them. You know, if you're look, if you're hunting for names for, for free agents, like, the best guards in the G League is probably where you should start. But that's not where any of y'all started. Y'all started places like Jeff from NEP, who offers the following long list of names. Otto Porter Jr. and Avery. Avery Bradley would probably be best case scenario if they actually got bought out. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, Blazers have been linked to Otto Porter Jr. For, Jr. forever. You can never have enough big wings who can shoot and dribble. Uh, Otto, Otto Porter Jr. Is like a, would be a really good rotational piece. Um, he's he, The Magic might just keep him because he's a good basketball player. Avery Bradley now with the Houston Rockets. Um, he I watched the Rockets game you know, just before recording this, they lost to the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, he's, you know, he's part of their, their playing rotation. I think he would be part of the Blazers playing rotation too, leapfrogging Anthony Simons if he came here. But do the Blazers want to do that? Like is, is, um, is Neil's plan like, don't sign anyone who can get minutes over Amfrey. Uh, make sure Terry has to play him. It's it's kind of unclear there. I think both of those guys are are good enough though that if they were bought out, Jeff from the NEP, shout out to Northeast Portland, that they're gonna go to better teams. Uh, like those are the Otto Porter Jr. Like is gonna be the hottest name in the market. He will he he will end up he'll just end up with the Brooklyn Nets, right? Uh, Avery Bradley is wasn't great with uh, Miami, but is like a is a solid rotation guard. I think he would really help. But again, I think he's, he might be for what the Blazers are offering in terms of proximity to a championship and playing time. I'm not sure Bradley ends up here, but both of those would be awesome pickups. So obviously really, really, really good adds to this roster. Jeff from the NEP also offers some current free agents, JJ Berea. Nope, not for me. Justin Anderson. I mean, sure, maybe. I think that's an okay one. I'm not sure he's very good, but in terms of like 14th man, I think he could do a lot worse than Justin Anderson. CJ Miles. Is CJ Miles, did he, did he like officially retire or is he or is he chilling? What happened to CJ Miles? Donzin Musa, Jordan Bell, Louis King. Jeff, I got I to gotta guess where you went to college. Kyle Korver, Glenn Robinson, even Isaiah Thomas. I don't understand the Isaiah Thomas one at all. Um, on this list, like the names that intrigue me are Justin Anderson, CJ Miles, and Glenn Little Big Dog Robinson. I would probably, of this list, heavily into Glenn Big Dog Robinson. He's a wing. He can, uh, I guess, play competent defense. I mean, for the Blazers, even um, just interested defense would be fine. Actually, their problem is effort. Their problem is they're bad at it. Uh it's yeah, I, I I think like that illustrate I none of those names intrigue me. Glenn Big Dog Robinson would be the best one. Another name on the list from RW says uh buyout candidate Terrence Ferguson, who's apparently gonna be bought out. Yeah, I, I think Terrence Ferguson is worth taking a flyer on. Um he's a he's a really good athlete who can't shoot and is OKC special. Uh yeah, I, if for the 14th roster spot, I really like the idea of Terrence Ferguson. Uh 
it, you know, a guy who won't play but could be good in the future. Uh, you know, you're only signing him for the end of the year, but maybe you sign him for like a non-guaranteed minimum for next year, whatever it is. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that one. But I think what all this does and why I want to start this with is like the... Well, the Blazers are going to add another player to this roster, and they could do it. They, they'll probably do it, you know, later this week. If I had to sort of guess how this is going to go down, but uh, the they're just the person they're going to add is not going to be a sexy ad that jumps into the rotation. Like they're going to add someone to who's comfortable and and capable of just being on the end of the bench. Like that's that is is the name. So uh, you know, you can you can think of all these parts, but like. And I'm not saying like, don't dream of Otto Porter Jr. Like it'd be better if the Blazers tried to upgrade their roster, right? Um, they can they can pay guys minimum contracts and stay under stay under the cap. Like that's that's not a problem for buyout guys. But I just wanted to start in this place so we're realistic about sort of what we're considering. The Blazers are going to add someone who's not going to play and who's not very good. That's that's who is that's who's going to be the 14th roster spot most likely. That's just that's how it works. Look for G League guards. Someone someone out there is listening to this and they're googling G League guards. I know one of y'all put together a, a sweet list, so I'm looking forward to that one. All right, in the second segment, let's come back answer more of your questions on this beautiful mailbag Monday. But before we get there. Let's talk about Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. It's free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, that's your boy Mike Mike G. Rich, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. I will be hosting the rooms for Locked on Blazers once a week. Yes, you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day. Uh, here's what you do. You, you download the app. You follow me on there. I'm at Mike G. Rich. And Wednesdays at around 6 p.m. Pacific time, I'll probably start just after 6, but you look for the room at 6 p.m. Pacific time. You, I'll be on there chatting, uh, joined by my friend and colleague, Jamie Hudson of NPC Sports. And you will have a chance if you get on there to finally yak back at all my at all my bad opinions. Uh, you, you download the app, you join the room. Uh, if you follow me on there, it'll be obvious. You'll get a, you'll get a little notification when I'm there. It'll be called you know Blazers chat with Mike Richmond, etc. And uh, you know we'll we'll chat about the Blazers for a little bit. You can ask your questions. There's a chat function. Like I said, there's a way for you to actually join the show. It's a lot of fun. We'll be doing that Wednesdays, 6 p.m. on the Locker Room app. So go download that free app right now. It's currently available on all iOS devices and be sure to create a profile and join the NBA group so you can get the latest league updates and follow me, like I said, at Mike G. Rich on there. And when the room goes live, I know you won't want to miss it. Uh, Like I said, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Can't wait to hear all y'all's thoughts on the Blazers and all the things I'm wrong about. It'll be a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the couple that I've done. Um, I think it's a fun little little tool. It's just kind of like live radio that lives in your phone. So uh, join me on there. I'd love to have you. That's Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Get more of the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. So follow Locked On Today wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. Talked a bunch about the buyout market in that first segment. Now we're going to talk a bunch about defense because, one, it feels like we are legally obligated to talk about defense each week on this podcast. And, two, it's what y'all want to know. I got a ton of questions about it, and um, that's what this is. If you're curious, that's what Mailbag is for. So our first question comes from Jacob, who asks, How can one get better at watching defense? What do you watch for to identify good D versus bad D? 
So I, I really like this question sort of like philosophically. I, it is one of the hard things about the proximity of covering the team this year is that I can't ask little questions. Um, the way Zooms work, you can't just get in there and be like, hey, in the third quarter, I saw this one thing. What is it? And have like Terry or one of the, the guys like, hey, what what are you supposed to do on this play? Or what do you like just getting clarification on what what the Blazers plan is? Um, I just don't have that. You know, you just can't have a little side conversations like you could um, like you could in, in the way that media worked in the past. So um, one of the things I try to do is say like, Defense is hard to watch, first of all, because a lot of times you just you, you're watching the ball, the shot misses, you're like, good D. Uh, so some of it is I, I try to watch sort of like how the shot is generated. Um, I think typically people say like you watch the off ball action. I think that might be a better way to do it, but I don't. That's just like I, I'd be lying to you if I said that's sort of like how my scout eye works. I'm, I'm watching the, the stuff right around the ball. Maybe I'm watching one pass away when somebody catches my eye. What I'm watching a lot with the Blazers is, is when... When some when something breaks down, the the scrambling after the breakdown, because I think what the Blazers really struggle in is helping, over helping, helping to the wrong spot, um, or not helping, et cetera, et cetera, like all those things. So it it's I think in real time defense is really hard to sort of like um, to watch. But if you not that you're gonna like go back and watch every game, but if the first um, the first watch through a game you can kind of figure out how and then the second watch through even if you just rewatch a play you can kind of figure out why and for me it's the why i think is is what i'm looking for usually if i'm if i am going to rewatch a blazer game i'll just like um decide whether i want to watch their offensive or defensive clips or if i just want to watch the fourth quarter or something and i'll like pay attention to really specific things how did they defend the pick and roll how did they defend the weak side but i think in real time it's really hard and even talking to guys in the league sometimes just you know it's it is a Sometimes scheme and results don't exactly align. So you can have a, a play that ends up with good defense, but is not what the scheme intended. So it wasn't the plan. And that's kind of what I was saying in that first little thing. Like sometimes the Blazers get out of scheme and I just like, I'm not able to clarify exactly. I'm like, I don't think that was what they were supposed to do. Or maybe what that was what they're supposed to do. And, and not being able to clarify that now, I don't know if they did it wrong. Like, I talked about this with listener Dr. Jeff in the past. Like there are so many things that go into bad defense. It's bad plan bad execution, lack of like physical tools and uh, like mental mistakes in real time, right? That's that sort of bad execution, bad mental mistakes in real time. So some of it is like they're being told what to do and it's a bad idea. Some of it is they're being told what to do and they're not executing it well. Some of it is they're being told what to do. They're trying to execute it well. They're physically incapable of doing it. And I think those three things um, running in tandem is what makes it sort of hard to watch defense, Jacob. So I think you can get better at trying to figure out what the Blazers were trying to do. And then you'll be a little bit sharper on looking for how they execute that or, or why they don't execute it on defense. Next question comes from Blue who asks, I have been slightly bothered, confused recently about the whole concept of defense in the NBA. Hell yeah, Blue, me too. In over-consuming the variety of sports media out there, it seems like sports media think that over 90% of the league is either bad, passable, or comically bad at defense. This is not a verified number, but I feel like nearly every player brought up in this trade deadline was criticized for defense, and it makes me feel like no one is good at defense. Take the Blazers, for example. We have a full NBA team, and seem to only have one or two respectable defenders. Even a top defense like the Knicks is comprised of individual players who in different scenarios likely would not function well on defense and certainly do not have high defensive accolades like an all-defensive team. 
My question is, do you think defense is more about a system created by competent coaches and solid team chemistry, or is it dependent on individual defensive talents? Blue, it's all of those things. That's that's the hard part. Like I mentioned just before, like it's good plan, good execution, actual physical tools to get it done. Like it's, it you you have to have all three. Like IQ and also the ability to process it in real time and also just like the, the foot speed and the length to get there and make it happen. Um, I, I do think there is a confusion with the way we talk about defenders in terms of like he can't guard anyone versus like he can't be a good defender, right? Like I don't think Blake Griffin can guard anyone. He can't stay in front of people, but he can like be six foot 10 and stand in the right spot and just kind of like be in the right help position and him at his size. And at his, and if you're in the right spot and you're there early in a help side position, you're playing good team defense. So like, uh, there's, while I think there are a bunch of bad defenders, you can like, you can play the scheme correctly and be a bad individual defender. Like I think LaMarcus Aldridge has always been like a really good position defender, like maybe like an elite position defender, but never an elite one-on-one defender. Um, he's, he's not, he has, wasn't ever like a big switchable big that would shut guys down, but he was like a really smart team defender. So I think the, the sort of intersection of those two things is why some people are like, oh, he's not, he's a bad defensive player, but you can be a bad defensive player and like good in scheme, I think is the problem. And, uh, you know, kind of like I mentioned in that, in the first question, like there's a lot that goes into it. Um, Certainly scheme helps. Some coaches are better at teaching it than others. Some coaches are better getting it out of players than others. For sure, it's a specialty, um, but it is it is all of the parts. It is both good plan and good execution of said plan and then good physical tools to be able to execute the plan. It's all of those parts. Um, and I agree with you, Blue. It's confusing because it seems like uh, all everyone in the league is bad at defense, and that is in part because the rules benefit the offensive players at all times. So even when you play good defense, you might be giving up a kajillion buckets. Next question comes from Britton Taylor, at Britton Taylor on Twitter, who asks, when is the coaching staff going to add a defensive specialist? Uh, probably never. I mean, probably when everyone gets fired. I like. So I, I can see a thing this summer where... You know, the Blazers finish fourth in the West and, and like Terry proves that he's like pretty good coach because they just win a whole shit ton of regular season games, but they flame out in the uh, playoffs and like there's like some sort of compromise where it's like, okay, you can have, you can play out the rest of your contracts or whatever, but we're firing all your coaches and we're going to like try to re re redo the staff and see if that's the problem. But like, I don't think they're going to bring one in. And quite frankly, I think that if you were trying to like fix the Blazers defense, you want to just get rid of everyone and start from scratch. Uh, I don't think it makes sense to just like bring in Ron Adams and be like, he can fix it or whatever. Um, I think you have to start holistically from how you teach it and who, and whose voice is doing the teaching. So I don't think a defensive specialist is, would be my solution. Next question comes from Belgian Blazer at Belgian underscore Blazer on Twitter who asks, what are your thoughts on our defensive game plan now that Nurk is back? After the Magic game, Nurk talked about the need to be more aggressive on D. Stotts, however, said Nurk went rogue on a couple of those successful defensive possessions. Also, don't you think it's comical that the Blazers also almost always resort to drop coverage when they're defending the pick and roll. Meanwhile, we have a guy in Damian Lord who's absolutely elite when it comes to punishing drop coverage. Dame even said the following on JJ Reddick's podcast in the summer of 2020. Drop coverage. I don't understand it, man, especially when you're dealing with guards that can shoot. Yeah, I mean, Dame, you can't guard Dame with drop coverage and you can't guard guys who shoot threes off the dribble with drop coverage. Like, you just can't. Um, increasingly, more and more teams are taking pull-up threes. It makes it much harder to do. But you... The idea that you can't drop in the league is is 
it doesn't make sense <laughs> um, because you can. A lot of the league plays this style of coverage. Um, and quite frankly, uh, you... Well, let me let me read this next question, and then we'll talk about this sort of holistically. Alex S. asks, Two games in to Nurkic's return, I've been very pleased with how he's played and impacted the game, but has once again brought the, fo- the forefront the mellow Cantor pairing, which is getting killed every time. What do you think the solution is other than start Cantor, which won't happen? Also, we continue to run drop coverage with Cantor in the game, and it gets murdered every time. Even when teams attack right at him instead of settle for jumper, they score with ease, and Cantor do- can't do much to stop them. Is there any tweak that we can make that we can make that can make this slightly more palatable or we just have to go small in the playoffs when Nurk is out. Well, I do think in the playoffs and typically you just, you can't play traditional fives because of the exact thing you're talking about. But, um, I don't think there's a solution with Cantor specifically that you can like a shoe drop. Um, this goes back to Belgian Blazers question too. Like playing him higher up on the floor doesn't make him faster. And his big problem is lateral speed and then length at the rim. So he's going to get run past and then he doesn't have the recovery speed or the length to block shots. One of the reasons he sucks in, in drop too is because of the length and the inability to jump. Like he doesn't, he doesn't contest shots. Like Rudy Gobert is an, is the best defensive player player in the league or at least the most impactful defensive player in the league shout out to ben simmons but he he dominates in drop because of his length and his ability to sort of like close down that space um i think nurk can get closer to that like I mean, he can't be rudy gobert but he can get closer to that so but the other reason that the blazers have to play a lot of drop is one two, traditional centers and two it's hard to switch it's hard to just like bringing the guy up to the level and then recovering is one one thing. And I think Nurk could do that better. Um, and I think you you go to that more often. I think that would be valuable. Um, I could understand why Terry didn't want him to do it against the uh, Magic because the Magic can't shoot and um, getting in rotations against a team that can't shoot is just a mistake. Uh but, but in general, like the they could play higher up in, in in pick and roll defense for sure, or at least Nurk can't. Cantor can't. Like I I, I know that drop coverage is like this big thing with Ennis Cantor, but like the other schemes are bad too. I mean, I it's hard to like I could tweet out some clips, but it seems un, unfortunate. Like if you bring him up high, people run past him, and you're giving up layups as opposed to jumpers. And the Blazers would just rather give up jumpers. Um, he's a bad defensive player. It is what it is. Uh, but I. I think like the minor tweaks or all these things are like play a little bit higher and then in the playoffs play small and switch, keep guys in front. Uh, I, I think like straight up switching everything during the regular season just invites teams to hunt mismatches. Um, and I really think this is, this is where I'm at with the Blazers defense. It's hard at this point to say they should do this because they're not good at anything. And I think one of the keys with a good defensive team is find your base. Like uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are a, a drop team that found their base, elite regular season team on defense, right? And and it, it didn't work in the playoffs. So now this year they're switching a bunch. The Utah Jazz, they have a base where they um, they pretty much don't, they don't switch. They play drop, they chase guys over the top. They, they um, every so often they'll late switch or late clock switch, either, uh, late switch and late clock aren't the same thing, but they'll occasionally switch and, and and have Gobert out there but but they have a base. The Blazers don't have a foundation. So it's not like they can say here's the thing we're good at, let's build off it from here. So it's hard to just like totally throw in a new scheme because they don't have any they have they have no foundation defensively. It's it's 
It's a big problem. They're the worst defensive team in the league since the All-Star break. They're just not, they're not good at it. Like, that's why we spend all of these mailbags talking about it, because they're not good about, they're not good at it. All of your concerns are realistic, but it's, like I said at the top of this segment, it's both. It's both that Cantor is slow and doesn't get off, um, doesn't get off the ground, and that the coach is obsessed with staying conservative because he'd rather not make a mistake and give up specific types of shots. Like it's both scheme and personnel. It's both the things it's, it is always a, it's always a combination, but particularly in this case, the Blazers are bad because they have bad defensive personnel and they have a a scheme that they aren't particularly good at executing, but because they're not good at executing, like you, where do you build to go from? Do you say, okay, now we're going to switch everything or no, now we're going to play at the level. Remember, when they tried to play a slightly more aggressive scheme and in the preseason and and the start of the year and they looked horrific like (laughs) it's just I wish it wasn't this way and I wish we didn't have to keep talking about it but it just it's true like they're just they have some good defensive players with Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington but they do not have enough parts to be a good defensive team it's it is just the it is the the real truth and I can't tell you any other way so to, to answer your question more on the nose, Belgian Blazer, like to close this out here, I think it's not like hilarious or embarrassing that they always play drop coverage. Um, it's it's not comical to me. It's just like if they had ever shown a proficiency to fix it and maybe Nurk can just go rogue and show that he's capable of it and then we can have another conversation. But if they've ever shown a proficiency to do something else, then I'd say lean on that. But to me, the personnel screams, you got to just play drop and figure out if you can get there because they're just not tight enough in rotations to be a team that plays a more aggressive style. I mean, maybe you think they can be, and I think that's fair, but I don't see a team that's that's super connected enough on defense to get there. And the best version of themselves in the playoffs is going to be going small. Uh, maybe a bunch of Nurk and Rocco minutes will change my mind on this, but I'm kind of I'm just kind of resigned to this team being bad on defense and the and the solution being like, hey, let's show multiple looks, not even being a viable strategy because they're not they just they're not good at anything. They don't match up well in the zone. They don't rotate well. Um, obviously, in drop coverage, they've been exploited. Like it's it, if you can find me something that they can they do consistently well, five, six, seven possessions in a row. I'll be convinced, but right now I'm not there. All right, let's, that's enough defense talk. I mean, we'll do it again next week. We do this every week, y'all. There's still going to be a bad defensive team. It's still going to be frustrating. I totally understand it, but for now, let's move on. Close out the show with more of your questions in the third segment. But first, let's talk about betonline.ag. Y'all know betonline. It is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. NBA games every night. College basketball's got the NCAA tournament. We're, We're coming into the final four by the time you listen to this. NHL's got games every night as well. And if you don't want to bet on sports, there's awards and TV shows that you can bet on right there on their website, betonline.ag, where you'll find updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They got real-time news and scores. It's just the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. So head on over to that website. Again, that's betonline.ag and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. Once more for you, the promo code is locked on. The website is betonline.ag and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts today's show is also brought to you by built bar y'all know built bar it's the best tasting protein bar on the market ain't nothing changed there it's still low calorie or low sugar high protein high fiber but now now it's time 
It's time to figure out which one of these tastes the best. That's right. It's the Built Bracket. It's Built Madness. They've created a March Madness-esque bracket to decide what's the best tasting protein bar. And today's matchup is none other than the first of our flavorful four matchups, Cookies and Cream versus Cookie Dough Chunk. We're getting down to it. These are both really good flavors. For me, I'm leaning cookies and cream, but, uh, you know, on another day, I might lean cookie dough chunk. I don't, I don't think you can go wrong here. But um, if you want to vote on this matchup, visit their website, builtbar.com, or, or hit them up on Twitter, at bar underscore built. And remember, use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. Make sure you check back to see who won today's matchup, who's going to the championship, and who will become the best tasting protein bar ever. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond, and you're still listening to Locked on Blazers. You want to know more about the top prospects in college basketball, the future stars of the NBA? Well, make sure you're listening to Locked on NBA Draft, the podcast that brings you scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from draft experts who know their stuff. Subscribe today and follow Locked on NBA Draft wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's close out Mailbag Monday with more of your questions. This, this, we don't, the, the Thursday was not thematic as the first two. Couldn't get as organized because we just, you know, people were all over the map. I love all over the map. Let's, let's jump around. This first one comes from Logan Gillis at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who asks, is the new look high flying, creating turnovers and scoring in transition Blazers team we saw in Toronto game here to stay or a one-off blip? Logan, hate to tell you, it's probably, it's probably a one-off blip. Uh, they've been a low turnover team. They prefer, the coach prefers a really conservative scheme. Um, they don't have the personnel or the defensive chops to play a more aggressive scheme. But I will say this, Norman Powell provides a jolt of athleticism that Gary Trent Jr. did not. Gary Trent Jr. got after it on defense, but wasn't a particularly good defender. Uh, Norm Powell maybe doesn't get after it as as sort of like obviously aggressive but he's he's a really really good athlete and and maybe his his athleticism will um be disruptive and they'll have more than just a one-off blip but if you're asking me to guess give me the blip dog next question comes from jamar mckelvey who asks in the game against toronto on sunday damian lord had nine assists in the first quarter and then there was another game recently where he also had a bunch of assists in the first quarter yeah 10 the other night in the first quarter but both but in both those games he only finished with a few more over the course of the game so do you think that is because of the way he's specifically being defended in the first quarter of these games or is he doing something differently or looking for his own shot more after the first quarter i'm assuming that it's maybe a little bit of both but i would love to hear your take so yeah jamar you're right it's it's a little bit of both but I will say this, Dame usually in the first quarter, typically he he looks to get other guys involved because he knows he has the ball in his hand and he can wait and, and get into it late. Additionally, he plays the whole first quarter. So that's going to be his, he's, he, you know, he's going to have more assists in the first quarter than the second quarter because he's just going to play more minutes. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, typically the games have been close and that's go time against Toronto. Specifically, it was go time for CJ. Get out of CJ's way. He's going to go get it. Um, the, the sort of free flowing patience that Dame can show in those first quarters when he's racking up a bunch of assists, um, it's, it's, it doesn't offer itself the same 
like just because of the way the Blazers play and the way Dame prefers to play, he wants to dribble, he wants to run high pick and roll, and um, they they want to space around him to give him that space. They don't run a bunch of elaborate sets. They don't. The offense doesn't have a lot of cutting. It's a lot of standing still, and they don't have a lot of good cutters. Like they just don't. Like maybe Norm will be there, and Dirk Jones Jr. has shown an ability to really read. Um, we'll talk about that in the next the next question, but really read the baseline a little bit. But other than that, they don't have guys like CJ and Dame don't cut off the ball very well. Um, it's it's like a, it's a true weakness of theirs. So, like when the game gets down to it, it's just they're just going to be in a low assist team because of how they play and who they are. Um, <laughs> maybe another call to change up schemes, but uh, yeah, I think I think you're you nailed it. Like Dame Dame looks to pass early, and for whatever reason, the Blazers have been awesome, kick ass first quarter team this year. They've they've come out. They've been one of the best first quarter scoring teams in the league all season long. So it's it's an assist happy quarter for a variety of reasons. Next question comes from Dave, who asks, "Watch the Nets game last night." Y'all see how sometimes I save questions a little longer than they should be. Dave's Dave's not your fault. Not your fault. I let this one age in the inbox. Dave asks, watch the Nets game last night. Did we just figure out that we need to throw all we that all we need to do is throw it near the rim and DJJ will go get it. I thought these were sort of back cuts we were going to be treated to all season. How did this take three months to figure out? Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, is Derek Jones Jr. figuring out when to time those cuts. And the other part of it is Damian Lord seemingly getting more comfortable throwing lobs. He's never been good at throwing lobs. It is a weakness in his game, which is kind of puzzling and I don't understand. Um, it also seems like Dame is better at throwing a lob from like 25 feet than he is from like, say, 7. Um, he doesn't throw those James Harden lobs where you like get deep into the paint and just kind of like toss it up to the rim. Like that's not Dame's game. He is like a, oh, I see it from far away or I see it, you know, when I'm attacking around three point line, I see it at half court and I throw it up there. But that's just, Derek Jones Jr. has gotten more comfortable. Dame has gotten more comfortable. Um, they had another one uh, out of an inbounds play that was not the play. It was not the ATO. or no, It wasn't ATO. It was not the, the called play, but Derek Jones just cut baseline. Uh, this was Sunday against the Raptors, and, and Dame threw it up there, and Derek threw it down. Like, they're just, they're developing a chemistry. And it, yeah, it's taken 40 games, Dave. Sorry. Um, it, it happens. Dame was, Dame's never been good at it. So 40 games is pretty good. Is that for, you know, nine years? This is a pretty good learning curve for him. Next question comes from Wyeth at Wyeth underscore Earp on Twitter who asks, I've heard it reported that Portland couldn't offer a first for Aaron Gordon, but also saw Kevin O'Connor tweet that suggested that they could send out a first round pick. Could the Blazers have offered a first round pick? And if so, was the rest of the package really less enticing than what Denver offered? So yeah, um, technically the Blazers could have offered picks. The way the protections work is that you could have, um, you could have worded the tweet such that, uh, that you know they owe their pick this this summer, and it's almost certainly going to convey. They owe a lottery protected pick to to Houston this summer, so it's it, you could have worded the tweet the year after that pick conveys. So like technically, all parties involved would know that it's almost certainly a 2023 first round pick, and then you could offer a second one in 2025. That would mean that the Blazers basically have one pick from 2019 between 2019 and 2025. Um, you know, one pick in five years. I don't think they want to do that. They certainly could have. Those are the rules they could have. They could have sweetened the pot. If um, I, I kind of think that that would have been okay. Like put all the chips in and just say, we don't need first round picks. We don't need rookies. Certainly don't need a rookie in 2020, 2024 or whatever. Like if you want to win with Damian Lillard right now, go get the best players available. Like I, I totally agree with that. I can also see the other side to say like, you can't just overpay for Aaron Gordon and overpay for uh, 
Robert Covington, you know, you, you know, throwing two picks in at all these kind of B's and then expect to win the championship. Cause like what you need is sort of like ammo to get an A plus to add next to Dame. Like, I think that's, um, I, I do think that's kind of, kind of the question, right. Is like, uh, would it have been an overpay? Um, otherwise like, yeah, I think Denver's, um, package, which was not particularly good, was better when Bla- what the Blazers could have offered. Gary Gary Harris is better than like the Rodney Hood salary throw in, and R.J. Hampton is like he's he's not better than Gary Trent Jr., but he's under team control. He's younger, and he probably has like higher upside, although maybe less likely to like Gary Trent Jr. is closer to being a good player than R.J. Hampton is, more likely to be a good player right now in this moment than R.J. Hampton is. But the up, you know, you trade for upside in these trades, so I think R.J. Hampton like a better trade piece for what the Magic wanted. Um, yeah, I think the Blazers with the with the draft pick certainly could have could have made a better offer and thrown in Nazir Little or whatever it was than Amphrey Simons or, uh, yeah, I think that they could have. That's that's certainly. Um, I'm not surprised that they didn't, but within the rules of the league, they certainly could have. Next question comes from Rip City at Rip City on they that asks, what else is Portland missing to make a deep playoff run? There's the Clippers, the Nets, the Bucks, but what are we missing t- to be a tier right below them? Um, own your story uh, at Mindset Vegan on Twitter asks, with everyone healthy right now and the addition of Norman Powell, what kind of ceiling do you see our Blazers, assuming that Nurk and CJ stay healthy for the rest of the season? And Tim asks, what kind of playoff performance does this team have? I think all of these are related, so I'll kind of answer them all at once. Um, what the Blazers are missing is like an elite on like point of attack defender. They're missing like supercharged version of Derek Jones Jr. Um, because Derek Jones is a pretty good like staying in front of his man on defense and, and he's got the length to bother people, but he's not strong enough and gets pushed around by the, by the biggest wings in the league. Even the James Hardens of the world kind of push him around. He's not big enough to guard like bigger fours. They just body him. And, um, um, he's just, he's not quite, he's just not quite physically there yet, but he has the sort of the length and athleticism to be a, to be a, a good defensive player. They're, they're missing like that. They're missing that sort of like Tony Allen, type where it's just like well this dude can we don't have to worry about this dude he can take out one of their stars and we can figure out how to guard the other star right like um that's that's the sort of thing they're missing to get there now that that's not a thing that's available you you can't just go get like a like an elite on ball stopper uh they there aren't many of them in the league like the best the best defenders in the league are mostly bigs and Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons is like a once in a generation type of talent so it's it's hard to get there and what is like what is their ceiling or what kind of playoff performance do they have from mindset vegan and Tim uh I, I think the Blazers' um, ceiling hasn't changed for me. Like, I think their ceiling is a Western Conference Finals. Uh, you know, if things break right, they can get beyond that. But to me, like, the the absolute ceiling would be winning two playoff series. They're a really bad defensive team. You may have listened to this early in the podcast. I can't see them beat... Like, they just haven't beaten enough good teams for me to sit here and say they're going to beat... Um, they're going to win 12 games in the playoffs or they're going to win eight games in the playoffs and beat two really, really good Western Conference Finals teams that can scheme against them and know who to pick on. Like I just, they're just not there. They're not, they're not there yet. I think this team, I, I think this team is fun. And and like my hottest take, I've said this before, is like that it's okay to be okay. Like I, um, not winning a championship isn't a failure. It's okay to build a pretty darn good team and that's what they've built. But they keep talking about championships and there's an anxiety around this team that really wants 
from the fan base that really is just demanding a championship or demanding sort of a next step type of thing. Um, I think the Western Conference Finals would kind of scratch that itch to some extent, but uh, but I I don't I right now I can't I can't I can't pick them beating. I'd hard hard time picking them beating Phoenix in a series, Utah in a series, the Clippers in a series. I don't know what the Lakers are going to look like, but if the Lakers are healthy, I sure as hell I'm not picking the Blazers over them. I'm not 100% sure I'm picking the Blazers over the Denver Nuggets, although we're getting to the tier that I would pick them in. But that's five, that's four teams that I wouldn't, I, I couldn't pick the Blazers against. And if you're going to have to beat one of them and maybe two of them to get where they want to go. Final question of the show comes from Tanner, who asks, when Dame passed 1,600 points all time, I wanted to see where he stacked, 16,000, excuse me. I wanted to see where he stacked up against the rest of the list. He's currently 112 by Juwan, behind Juwan Howard. Shout out Juwan Howard. Uh, go blue. But by the time you read this, he may have already passed him. He certainly has, Tanner. This has been sitting in my inbox for weeks. There are only 11 active players ahead of him on one of them being Carmelo Anthony. When it's all said and done, assuming he stays healthy, healthy, where do you think Dame sits as an all-time scorer? So this is kind of arbitrary, but here's how I did it. I said he's going to score about 2,000 points per per season for the next four years until he's 34 years old. Then he'll have a couple years scoring about 1,500 points. That might be too drastic of a drop-off, but that's that's kind of what I'm estimating. Uh, there's, you know, health and all those things. That'll be thir- that'll be year 35 and, and year 36. He'll turn 37 after that season. And then I'm saying one final year, 38-year-old Damian Lillard scores about 1,000 points in that year. And that would put him at about 28,000 points, which would put him like right where Melo is now. So that would land Dame somewhere between Dominique Wilkins at 14 and where Carmelo Anthony currently sits as I'm recording this podcast at 11. Melo's going to pass Elgin Baylor. So it'll be, you know, between Dominique Wilkins and Elgin Baylor and, and, and wherever James Harden and the, and Kevin Durant end up at that point. But yeah, I, I think, I think Dame has an outside chance. The problem is that there's some there's some current guys ahead of him on the list. Like I said, James Harden and, and Kevin Durant specifically, who may jump up into the top ten. But I think like on this current track, Dame is going to push a top fifteen scorer in the history of the league. And um, you know how I said he's going to be the best blazer of all time. Well, it's stuff like that, y'all. If he's the top fifteen scorer in the history of the league, um, and he did it all with one franchise, this is how he ends up the best blazer of all time. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Mailbag Monday. If you want to get in on one of these in the future, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. will be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.